Good morning. We're going to be reading out of Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this, mis now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the, at the time that he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Lord God, I'm praying this morning that you would take your word and that you would impress it upon our hearts. And that, Lord, you, that we would hear from you today. That, God, that in the midst of everything that's, that's happening, that we might hear truth, that we might understand uh, what you have for us. And so, Lord, would you apply this to our hearts? Would you allow us to experience you? Lord, for those who are suffering here this morning, may they see you as the great comforter. Lord, for those who are just entangled in their sin, Lord, I pray that they would understand your gospel, your grace, your mercy, how much you love this person, this young man, this woman, this whoever it is. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to experience you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, by the way, it is our 14-year anniversary right now. Yeah, we made it. We made it. I don't know why, why but that's, uh, uh, it's, it seems like an accomplishment, uh, 14 years. I think at the time when we planted, I heard a statistic, this is 2007, heard a statistic that like 80% of church plants fail. Uh, it's probably a lot like businesses, restaurants, stuff like that. Um, and so praise God that he sustained us and, and that he has uh, been working here. We talk about this often, but we planted a church in, in Silverton, and we're just praying over a, a new building uh, out there, or some, a, a place to meet. We are meeting in a barn right now, which won't be available to us in, in the fall here in October. And so um, we got a little bit, <laughs> we got some, some work to do. So we have about, about 200 people out there uh, week in and week out. And so that's, uh, it's a pretty cool uh, thing that the, the Lord is doing there. And so there's all kinds of stuff that needs to happen as a result. And especially here at Outward uh, in Salem is that if you're not involved, you should get involved because we sent a bunch of great servants out there and we still have some here, but we need more. And so uh, we need folks who are greeting. We need, need folks who are serving in kids. We need 
uh, uh, people who are out uh, doing safety and security in the parking lot. We need uh, folks to, uh, I don't know, run slides and, and help with sound and uh, graphics and all of that stuff. And so that would be uh, super great. If you uh, would like to be a part of Outward Church, we'd love to see you uh, do that and engage in that. I've noticed we have uh, quite a few folks, it looks like maybe from one of the local schools here, and so we're so glad that you're here. My prayer for you is that you would get plugged in. Our heart has always been uh, for young people that they would find a place here at Outward Church and that they would engage with the local church. And so don't believe the lie that you can just go float and just go wherever you want and then maybe not go to church uh, at times or whatever that leads to spiritual deadness. And so I just wanna encourage you, engage with the church, uh, the local church, and, and begin serving, be a part of it, join a community, that would be awesome. Um, and uh, here we are. We're in Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse 21. Man, it's a, it's a, it's a passage. I don't know if you understood what it said, but I, I, I think I understand what it's saying now. I'm sure that's comforting as I'm about to preach to you about it, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. When John Stott, who is a heavy hitter in evangelical Christianity, when he says, this is a very difficult passage, you know you are in for it. And so he did say that, and so this is, it's a difficult passage. I don't know how else to say it. It is a very, very difficult passage. I wanna tell you one thing, if you get nothing else out of today, it is the barren who get the blessing. It's the people who can't produce that get the blessing of God. It's the people that uh, ultimately and finally see their inability to produce for God that actually end up getting God by faith. That's, that's it, that's, that's what I wanna tell you. Now the Apostle Paul, we've been talking about this out of the book of Galatians, uh, has been speaking to a church or churches, uh, the capital C church in the city of Galatia, is there at least one church, there might be multiple churches, uh, he is speaking to these people because there are false teachers that have come into the church and they have polluted, they've corrupted uh, the doctrine that the Apostle Paul laid down, which is it is only justification by faith. You can only be justified before God by faith. It cannot be by works and it is only through Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. That, that's the only way that it can happen. These false teachers came in and said, no, no, no. You have to take Jesus plus obeying all of the Old Testament rules. So they want to take uh, the new covenant, which is the New Testament, the life of Jesus, who dies for all the ways that we have violated uh, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, he, and they say, you know what? You need the New Covenant and the Old Covenant together. You gotta keep them together. That's the way to be saved. And let me tell you, many, 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 many Christians today, in fact, most of us uh, default to this who are in the church today. Most of us in the church today default to this idea that I've gotta be good in order to be accepted. I must obey in order to be loved by God. And when I don't obey, I feel like he doesn't love me. But let me just, let me just add to that. The blessing of God doesn't come to you, never came to you in the first place because of the good that you did. The blessing of God didn't even come to you because you chose God. The blessing of God came to you through no work of your own. And so right now as you sit here, 
No matter where you've come from, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been doing, no matter who you're sleeping with, no matter who you're, you're not sleeping with, no matter uh, whatever mistakes you might have had, no matter what that is, Jesus loves you immensely. Jesus loves you immensely, and he gave his life for you, and you can do nothing to earn that. That's the message of Galatians. But Paul digs in here to something that's, it's really kind of insider language a little bit. So if you know the Old Testament, you might understand this. Um, if you're not familiar with the church and you haven't really read your, your, a Bible or, or something like that, it might seem out there. So I'm going to try to explain it as we go, and I'm going to try to move pretty quickly because there's a lot to cover, and we'll see how we get uh, through this. So this is what it says. It says, uh, let me pick it up in verse 19, actually. I just want to back up just a little bit. The Apostle Paul is just pouring out his heart, and he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Like, he's talking about childbirth. He's talking about, like, I just want Jesus in you. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you to become like Christ. This is what I want for you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Why are you changing your mind on key issues? We've already talked about this. This is what he says. I love you guys so much. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law. He says, I want to talk to you folks that feel like your good works, that you have to have good works in order for God to love you. I want to talk to you folks who, who think that somehow you can make yourself good enough, look good enough for God to accept you. I want to talk to you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? Hey, if you desire to be under uh, the weight of uh, what was written in the Old Testament, don't you also listen to it? And so he says this. He says, for it is written... What's he talking about? He's saying, for it's written in the law. And he's pointing back to Genesis, the life of Abraham. He's pointing back to Genesis. He says, I want you to uh, take a moment here. I want, I want to tell you this story, and I want to tell you a story about this. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So what uh, Paul says here is he says, let me try to break this down for you and help you to understand something here real quick. Let me tell you about a love triangle slash soap opera that happened in the Old Testament here. And that's what this is. He's going to tell us about this love triangle that took place. There's some sordid details. It's, it's kind of weird, but Paul, or Paul says, I want to tell you about this so that I can communicate to you what the real gospel is. So let me tell you this real quick. Let me tell you about the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham goes like this. Here's this guy, Abraham. We don't know anything really about him prior to this other than he came from this, uh, this family and it's talking about his family. And then all of a sudden it says in Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abraham, I want you to go from your country. I want you to go from your family to the place that I'm gonna show you. 
and I'm gonna make of you a great nation, and I'm, I'm gonna bless you and make your name great. And then ultimately he says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, I'm gonna tell you to go to this particular place. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. There's gonna be lots and lots and lots of people that come from you. And what's gonna happen is this, that because of, of what I do in your life, like everybody else is gonna be blessed. Here's just one particular problem, and that is that Sarah, Sarah, or Sarai was her name at the time, Sarah is barren, meaning she can't have kids. She's really dealing with infertility, and she cannot have kids. And so this seems like a crazy promise. It seems like an absolutely nuts problem, uh, uh, promise. So she can't have kids. Then the Lord repeats his promise to, uh, to Abraham. And Abraham says, how can this happen when you haven't given me a child? And so God says, look toward heaven and, and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God repeats it to him again. It says, I know that you think that you're not gonna have this great family that comes from you, but it's going to come from you. Look at the stars. There's so many, you can't even number them. That's how many descendants you're gonna have. And Abraham is just like, he's perplexed. I can't have kids. My wife is barren. She's, she's in, infertile. Like, what, what is gonna happen here? But it says that he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So what happens next is this, is that his wife, Sarah, she gets impatient. And she's just kind of like, hey, my biological clock is ticking here. Things are getting, you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm getting up there in age. I really would like us to have a kid. I want my, my husband to have uh, a son. I, I, I want this to continue. And so, tell you what, take my handmaiden, Hagar, and why don't you marry her and have a child with her? And Abraham's like, all right, yeah, if you say so, okay. And so he does this. He has a child with Hagar. Hagar is, I'm sorry, the son is born. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael is born, and immediately there seem to be some problems. From the moment of conception, when Hagar finds out that she's pregnant, there's problems between Hagar and Sarah, between the slave woman and the free woman. So what happens next? God comes back to Abraham, and he says, I, I want you to know something. I'm gonna bless your wife, Sarah, not your new wife, Hagar. Abraham, when I told you that you were gonna have uh, a nation, or a nation that comes from you, it's not coming through Hagar. It's not coming through what you can accomplish. It's not coming through that. It's coming through your barren wife. He says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall, he's talking about Sarah here, she shall become nations, kings of people. Uh, kings of people shall come from her. Abraham falls on his face, he laughs, and he says, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Abraham says, what the heck? I'm, I'm 100. Come on. I'm really, really old. I'm, I'm 100. I'm not, there's no way that this is happening, but he still believes it. His wife is 90 years old, and it says this, and Abraham said to God, 
After God says, I'm gonna establish my covenant with your son Isaac. Abraham says to God, oh that Ishmael, my son through Hagar, would live before you. God says, no, he can't live, he can't live before me. He's not going to be a part of my blessing. He's not a part of that blessing. Why did God do that? It's God's sovereign choice. God says, he's not going to live before me. He says, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And so what happens is this. The Lord visits Sarah, and he does to her as he promised. He causes her supernaturally to become pregnant. That's what takes place. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. The impossibility of having a son at 100 years old with your wife being 90. This is 25 years after his original call, I believe. 25 years, he's 100 years old, his wife is 90, and God does this. But then it says this, this will be pertinent in a few moments. And as a child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a, a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, or Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Okay. <sighs> we got through it. That's the background. That's the background. So now you can read this and you can understand what's happening here. It says this. Whoops, wrong page. There we go. You just read about the, the uh, love triangle. And so it says this in verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So the Apostle Paul is saying there's, there's two different things going on here. There's a slave woman, and she was born, or I'm sorry, her son Ishmael was born through the flesh. She was born through human ability. She was born by human self-effort, by Abraham's initiative. She was uh, he was born in that way. The other one was born through a promise from God, a promise only. No human effort, no nothing. The slave woman represents works. The free woman represents grace, promise, that kind of thing. So then he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. This doesn't mean that the story that we just read in Genesis isn't true. It means that Paul is going to give it an additional meaning that is going to explain here in just a second. He says, this may be interpreted uh, allegorically. He says, let's use this as a framework uh, for trying to receive blessing through works uh, versus trying to receive blessing through grace. He says, these women are two covenants. The slave woman represents the old covenant, the way that God dealt with people in the Old Testament through here's the laws, don't break them. If you do, here's the sacrifices that you have to go through. And it was very detailed, 600 and some odd laws, very detailed. They had to keep these rules. He says these women represent two different covenants. So then he says one from Mount Sinai, 
bearing children for slavery. What's Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is where the, uh, the Ten Commandments uh, were, were given. It represents, uh, it represents the law. He says, one from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Let me try to just break this down real quick for you. He just said, Hagar corresponds to Arabia, which corresponds to present-day Jerusalem, which means that he's implicating the present-day Jews during his time there. He's, he's implicating them and saying that these people are more like Arabs than they are like Jews. It would be tantamount to walking up to an Israeli today and saying to an Israeli, you're actually a Palestinian. Deeply insulting. You know the Palestinians and the Israelis hate each other, correct? Well, really, most Arabs hate uh, Israel altogether, but especially the Palestinians. It'd be like walking up to somebody from Antifa and saying, you know what, you're pretty much a proud boy. Right? It'd be like walking up to a Democrat and saying, you know what, you're a Trump-supporting right-wing Republican. It'd be like walking up to a Seahawks fan saying, you love the 49ers. Right? That's, that's what it would be like. It's deeply insulting. And Paul is saying, you are, these people, these false teachers from Jerusalem in, in our day today, these false teachers are really just acting in line with Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of Arabs. Ishmael is the father of, of all Arabs. You're acting in line with Ishmael and not with Isaac. That's what he's communicating there. So then, he says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Now, what is that talking about? Well, it's saying this. It's saying there's a earthly Jerusalem, which is human effort, which is governed by the old covenant, which is what these false teachers are doing. But then there's a heavenly Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that's up there. It's a city that we belong to as Christians because of a promise and not because of self-effort. He says, the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written. Now, what's he talking about here? Verse 27 is quoting Isaiah 54.1, which is a prophecy about Israel when they were in captivity, and it's pointing all the way back to Sarah, and it says this, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who has a husband. What's Paul showing us there? Paul is showing us there, this has always been God's way of dealing with people. Why would he bring this up? He brings it up because he's conjuring up an image. Here's Israel. They're in captivity because they sinned. They're in Babylon. They're in captivity. They are helpless. They are hopeless. They're dwindling away. They're like down to a remnant. They are the one, they are the ones who seem barren at this time. The Babylonians are the ones that seem fertile. And this is hope that's brought to Israel that says, I want you to rejoice in the midst of your barrenness. 
I want you to rejoice in the midst of your inability. I want you to rejoice in the midst of all of the things that you can't do. I want you to rejoice in that. Now, that sounds kind of crazy. Paul's saying, listen, this has always been the case. God's always worked this way. He saves Israel out of Egypt, and then he gives them the law. He saves them first, and then he says, now this is what I want you to do for me. God has always been this way. He always gives grace. He always gives grace, and he only gives grace to the barren. He says this, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. He's talking to people who have come to believe wrongly that, listen, I need to obey the rules if I'm going to continue to be acceptable to God. I need to obey the rules in order to be one of God's people. I need to obey the rules. I need to look right. I need to smell right. I need to uh, go to the right meetings. I need to whatever it is, go to the right church. He's talking to those people, and he says, but listen, I told you the gospel. You believed the gospel of grace, not the bad news of the law. You are children of promise. And men and women, you gotta know this. If you've received Jesus Christ as Savior, it doesn't matter what you did before you came in here. It doesn't matter what you're gonna do once you leave. If you've received Jesus Christ as Savior, he has saved you, and you are a child of promise. God's blessing has come to you. He says in verse 29, but just as at that time he too, who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac, so also it is now. Oh, what does that mean? Well, when Isaac was weaned and Ishmael laughed at him, the Old Testament says that he persecuted him, persecuted Isaac. So the slave boy is making fun of the free boy. And it says, cast out the slave woman after that. What's this referring to? It refers to this idea that Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, when you invite Hagar and Ishmael to live with Sarah and Isaac, you are inviting trouble. John Stott says, Ishmael's always persecute Isaac's. What's that mean? As long as there are people on earth, there's always gonna be people who are saying, this is the way to follow God. You've gotta follow all the rules, you've gotta do all the right things. These are the people, oftentimes, that are on the soapboxes downtown screaming at people. These are the people that are in our churches. These are the people that are in these seats sometimes. It's a belief that says, that says I've, I've gotta do what's right, and so everybody else has gotta do what's right. It's putting down the people that are living in freedom and saying, and saying, no, you're not following all the rules. You're not doing all the right stuff. It's not an attitude of grace. It's an attitude of law. Why do people hate our churches so many times? It's because we're just full of a bunch of law oftentimes. Why do we get lumped in with all of the people that are so hateful 
toward uh, lifestyles that we disagree with, but they're hateful about it. Why do we get lumped in with them? It's because we have these people who are constantly persecuting those who really are living by grace. And it's all of our tendency. It's all of our tendency to be people who are persecuting the Isaacs of our world. Now, what what does all this mean? What is all this saying? Maybe I can break it down to you in uh, how we can apply this to our lives in, in this way. Let me tell you a story. Four guys walk into a bar, right? I bet you didn't think I was gonna say that, right? So four guys walk into a bar. I want to describe four people to you. There's four people who correspond with Hagar and one that corresponds with Sarah. Four people with slavery, or I'm sorry, three people with slavery, one with promise. So there's four guys. The first guy comes in, and he has these starched khakis on. I think I even have a picture here. You got it? See, look, look at those things. Just beautiful pair of pants there. Got the pleat uh, down the front. What does it say? Premium stretch, no iron khaki, classic fit, hidden, expandable waistband. Yeah, that's just an amazing set of pants there. But he is starched, like starched and primped and perfect. He is, he is very, very buttoned up. Tim Keller says that this is the person that obeys the rules and relies on the rules. This is the classic Pharisee. This is the person who gets it wrong. This is the person that the Apostle Paul is speaking to. He's, he's talking to the people that have the ability, they have the ability to, to, to do all the right thing. They obey those rules and they rely on those rules for the, their salvation. When, when you ask them, do you, are you saved, they might mention Jesus, but at the same time they say, you know what, I'm a part of this church, these are the things that I do, these are the places that I go, these are the nice things that I do for people, I like helping people out. I talk to people like that all the time, where they, they say, you know what, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I really try to give back, I mean, I know God's blessed me, he's given me money, and I, and I try to help those people out. You know what that's saying? You obey the rules and you rely on the rules. It's like you're, you're this guy who walks in and you've got the starched khakis on and you are buttoned up and well put together, but the problem is that you're filled with self-righteousness and pride. And the truth about you, if that's who you are, is that you're just like these people of present-day Jerusalem in Paul's day who obey the rules and they rely on the rules for their salvation. And they're lost because they haven't trusted in Jesus. Here's the second person. He's got some wrinkled khakis. Let's see, let's see some wrinkled khakis here. There's, uh, what's that guy's name again? Paul Blart? Yeah, whatever his name is. What? Kevin James, there we go, yeah. I got another one, too. I got another one, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. This is the first and probably the only time that I'll ever use uh, pictures in one of my sermons. If this is your first time here, this, does, this never happens. I never use PowerPoint. But anyway, 
So we got this guy who has the wrinkled khakis on. He's wrinkled, messy, probably has a mustard stain. Who is this person? This is the person who disobeys the rules and yet still relies on the rules. It's the person who knows that they're blowing it all the time. They're doubting their connection with God. They're doubting their ability to be with him. They're doubting that he even loves them, but they're just trying. They're trying to obey the rules, but they're not doing a good job of it. They can't seem to obey the rules, and yet they're still relying on the rules to save them. And what does it cause? Self-doubt, shame, anxiety, depression, It's just shame. They're just wallowing in shame. There's a third person who corresponds to, to Hagar. It's a non-religious person. I would have gotten another picture, but I thought it would become cheesy like it is now. But uh, this is the guy with skinny jeans and a, a deep V-neck, right? The Doblove. No, is uh, it the deep V-neck from the Out of Bounds collection? Uh, if you've seen the SNL skit, if you haven't, then don't worry about it. Uh, in any case, it's hilarious. Apparently, most of you haven't, so that's, that's fine. That's fine. Who does this guy represent? He disobeys the rules, but doesn't rely on the rules, at least not the biblical rules. This is somebody who's made up their own rules. They've made up their own set of rules to say that this is what I will follow. This is how I'll live my life. I'll, I'll make my own rules, and basically in that, they're disobeying God's rules, and they're not really relying on his rules, but they actually do have a whole set of rules that they believe that they can keep from our culture. They've rejected God, but they've come up with their own rules. There's pride, arrogance in there, this is the free spirit. This is follow your heart type of person. They're not reliant on Jesus. They're not reliant on the rules. This person is reliant on their own self-effort just to meet their own standards or the standards of culture. But then there's a fourth guy who walks into this bar. And it would seem like he should be dressed up a little bit more. He should have at least tried to dress up and kind of primp himself a little bit like the guy with at least the wrinkled khakis on. But he doesn't. He just walks in, jeans and a t-shirt. They might even be work jeans. He walks in and it's just like the guy's comfortable in his own skin. It doesn't seem like he's trying to prove anything. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's trying to make himself look good. He knows he has nothing to be prideful about. But at the same time, he has nothing to be shameful about. Why is that? Because he's not obeying the rules and relying on the rules. He's not disobeying the rules and, and relying on the rules. He's not di disobeying the rules and, and not relying on that. He is relying on grace and obeys the rules. The Apostle Paul tells us this story to show us something. 
And that is that anyone who's relying on anything other than God's supernatural act in the example of causing this woman, Sarah, to become pregnant, and anyone who's relying on anything other than the supernatural power of God on that level is missing the point completely. Completely missing the point because they're reliant on self. You can do that pridefully, you can do that shamefully, or you can do that arrogantly. Or you can sit in humility. And the humility piece is this. It is the barren who get the blessing. Who are the barren? It's whoever finally comes to see their inability to reach God's standard. See, the Old Testament laws are good for this. When you read them and you go, this is ridiculous. God, why are you so specific? It's offensive. When you read the Old Testament and you go, man, God, why do you care if they're wearing two types of fabric? God, why do you care when they're intimate? God, why do you care about all of this stuff? Like, God, he's really, 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 really serious about this. And when you read about this God who says, be holy because I'm holy, and you finally come to this place where you just go, dude, I am not holy at all. If the Old Testament is the definition, if the Old Testament law is the definition of who God is, I'm in big trouble. There's no way that I can rely on obeying all the rules because that's impossible. Men and women, the Christian life described in that way is impossible. It is impossible for you to be a Christian on your own. You cannot birth that baby. You cannot receive that blessing. You cannot receive that promise because the Christian life is impossible until you come to the point when you realize that what Jesus is saying to you today is rejoice, O barren one. Who's the barren one? The barren one is the one who cannot have kids like Sarah. The barren one is the group of people who are locked up in captivity, have no ability to save themselves. The barren ones are the people who come and say, God, if this rests one iota, if your blessing rests one speck on my ability to keep a rule at all, I'm in trouble. And that's when he says, rejoice. Rejoice, O barren one. Rejoice. Because it is the barren who get the blessing. No one else. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. It's the, the person who says, 
I continually try to make myself happy with all of the things that I'm going after. I continue to try to, to fulfill my own desires through my work. I continue to try and try and try to become someone who's a good person. I continue to try to look good. And I just find myself working and working and working. I've worked my fingers to the bone. I'm, I'm at my wits end. I've gotten everything that I want. Everything that I've wanted. These famous people who come to the point where they reach the point of, of success that they had always dreamed of. There's like this, uh-oh, uh-oh, that even doesn't fulfill me. It's like I talked about this a while ago. Ed Sheeran talked about Ed Sheeran, the musician, who said he had always dreamed. I think he was dreaming of playing at Wimbledon. Is it Wimbledon Stadium, something like that? I don't know. A huge stadium, we'll just say that. And he finally got there. And, it, and he says to himself in this documentary, like, and then I was like, what do I do now? Do you know how defeating it is to have reached everything that you could ever have wanted? I know it sounds weird, but I, like a few years ago, I came to this point where I was like, I was mowing my grass. I remember where I was. I was... I was in my front yard, I bought a little bit of property, and I just had this kind of uh-oh sense. Like, uh-oh, I'm not sure I ever saw past this. I'm, <laughs> I know I should have more ambitions than just having bought a house with a little bit of property and some grass to take care of, because I love taking care of grass. So I'm sitting there taking care of this grass, and I'm like, all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna mow this grass till the day that I die. Uh-oh, like what else is there? What, what, what else could I have? We in America, richest nation ever, at least for now until China takes over one of these days. We have more money coming to us either because we're earning it or because the government thinks that we should have it right now. There's more money going through this world. Nobody needs a job apparently because every place in town has a help wanted sign on. We're all just fine. And I think our whole world is gonna say, uh-oh, and I think we're all going to be in this place where we say, ah, oh, crud. I was, going to, I was going to church. I was going to Jesus. I was going to religion so that I could, like, God, would you bless me? Would you bless me? I want you to bless me. If I go to church, maybe you'll bless me. Maybe if I keep things right with the man upstairs, then things will go okay. And then things go okay. And then it's like, what do I need God for? That's a lot of our stories. It is only the barren who get the blessing. My first point is it's the barren who get the blessing. My second point is this. It is only the barren who get the blessing. Abraham went on for 25 years having heard the promise and he had to wait and wait. And even though he believed God, he wasn't sure that it was coming. But what was God doing with Abraham for those 25 years? I think we'd have to ask God to know for sure exactly. But I think there's a big part of this, which is just Abraham getting to the point where he finally goes, all right, I'm really, really going to need God for this one. 
And I, and I wonder if God isn't kind of waiting on that with you. I just want you to see that it is only the barren who get the blessing. It is only the people who are finally destitute who I supernaturally save. And then it's only the barren get the blessing by faith. I, I remember when I was in the third grade, I had a third grade teacher. I went to a Christian school. And every day we would say Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Had this little cadence. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the KJV version. The ESV version says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Apostle Paul says, you've got to cast out the slave woman. You've got to cast out the idea that you can get this through your own, own effort. How do you cast it out? You have to remind yourself over and over and over again that it is not me. It can only be as though I were Sarah herself who's completely unable to produce the child of blessing in her. It is, though, it is as though I am her, and I just must sit and believe. I can't go off and say, okay, we'll get it through Hagar. I'll get it through money, sex, power. I'll get it through some other way. I can't go through that. I can't do that. No, I have to get it by trusting. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It, it is this, that God, you said that I should rejoice as a barren one. You said that I should rejoice because I'm unable to do it. And you made a promise on that cross. And you're beckoning me, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Faith is the assurance of this. He has blessed me. It's already up. So for those of you that are, in, that are sitting here doubting, for those of you that are sitting here saying, I cannot keep the rules and I cannot make it and if, it's, if, I, if I have to rely on the rules, I'm in big trouble, you're in a good position today because you are a barren one. Put faith in the reality that you cannot do it on your own. The Apostle Paul has said this week in and week out through the book of Galatians. And it's almost like, it's just kind of like, man, I feel like we're kicking a dead horse here. He just keeps saying it over and over again. You can only be saved by grace through faith. You must trust that you are a barren one. And he is the one who can supernaturally, and he is the only one who can supernaturally produce the child of blessing in you through the Spirit of God. And so when we come together on a Sunday, 
we are here hoping and praying for the Spirit of God to move in our lives, to be assured of the gospel, to be assured of this. But the first thing that we need to be assured of is I'm a barren one. I have nothing to offer. He did it all for me. We remind ourselves through the Lord's Supper. Can we come forward with that? We're reminded of it through the Lord's Supper. And as we come to the Lord's table, we're here to remember that Jesus went to the cross for us. We're here to remember that we don't have a leg to stand on. So can we uh, uh, come forward right now and grab communion and then we'll partake together. So would you bow your heads with me if you're not still walking around? Let me just read that Isaiah passage over you again. Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear good works for salvation. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. The fruit that God produces in your life is going to be more than you can produce on your own, way more. We come to the Lord's table this morning to recognize our barrenness. Would you take a moment and just, where is your barrenness? Maybe you would say, Lord, not only do I not have good works, but I have bad works. I haven't done anything to draw near to you. I haven't, I haven't been doing the right things, whatever it is. The Lord says to you this morning, I gave my body for you that you could rejoice with your life and serve me. The more you know how much I gave for you, the more you will be able to rejoice in me. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the body. He says, and this is my blood which was poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you only save the barren. Lord, may we come to recognize our barrenness and see what you have for us and rejoice over that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship.